The Q Affair. Part 2. The Q Woo. While some similarities to living people may exist in your mind on reading this novel, it is a work of fiction, so it's your problem if you have people like this in your life. Chapter 1 Okay then, I get it. You feel a bit cheated because I promised you in the last book I'd tell you how I met Q. Then I went all around the houses and you met all the neighbours without getting introduced properly to Q. You saw him peek through the leaves of the hedge a bit, but he never stepped forward. You weren't ready, reader. The way had to be prepared for the great man's arrival. The truth is, you couldn't handle the truth back then, as they say in some of the most exciting movies. You can now. Q loves movies. He told me the first week he wooed me, that he lives mostly in a movie, in his head. That's fine, I said. I'm the arty type. It sounded not too odd, just arty and imaginative. I'd met him online, after all, where it's a twilight zone of filling in the blanks with things you've cooked up in your own imagination half the time. I'd met some pretty imaginative types already, like Desiree Delacroix, who you got to know a whole lot more about with me in our last meeting of minds on the pages where I told you how my Q adventure started out and what weird places it took me to before Q even stepped out of the hedges to stand in my path and introduce himself. I like to imagine it was a maze he stepped out of in an ornamental garden of delights since we're constructing a fantasy here as Q would heartily approve of, were he not so fond of hiding his light in the bushes for half the time, while expressing the wish to expose everyone else to the light. And were he not firmly on the outs with me, for speaking about him now, here, in the full light of day. He's all about the light and shade, is Q, or was. He was a puzzle too, himself, that was there to be solved, and many tried. You get to go through the great maze now. In fact, you completed the test that brought you to the entrance, and you can handle the feeling of being lost without panicking, as I learned to, along the path, as I picked up the trail and lost it again so often, without ever losing sight of the point or the plot or the whole puzzle box cabinet of delights Q had cleverly constructed to amuse, frustrate and engage his audience and get them working away busily at what the layers of meaning might be within the puzzle and how to persuade the heart of it to spring open with the keys he'd hidden somewhere inside the maze he'd built. Desiree had her own puzzle to offer, as we learned already, and the murder she spoke of often was what drove her onward, through the maze, hauling her YouTube subscribers along, come rain or shine, in clement weather or inappropriate attire. It mattered not to her. She was oblivious to all but her own needs, and her determination was formidable as she insisted we help to solve her daughter's murder while telling us virtually nothing about it. We were left with only our imaginations to help us, and those foolhardy enough, like myself, 
to think researching online might provide some answers that would fill in the gaps in knowledge, soon learned that this wasn't what she wanted at all. No, indeed, it enraged her when she discovered I had written about my research and the findings didn't suit her. Since it was obvious, I saw some strange anomalies in the story she told and the veracity of the narrator. Dear reader, I would encourage you to question everything. Indeed, I can almost feel the ghost of Q moving at my elbow, or rather poking me in the ribs and whispering the phrase in my ear, as he was forever doing. Question everything, reader, even my own story. It may be true in parts, or just partly true. Has it any truth in it at all? It's up to you to decide. We can both agree, at least, that it's true that people lie, and we are in a fictional setting as well. So don't expect not to get lost. Next, take a deep breath and let us proceed and tell yourself you can handle it because if Q will not come to you, I shall bring you to him and not by hauling you bodily by the scruff of the neck as Desiree would do, but gently leading you to him around each twist and turn and secret corner avoiding the dead-end avenues and twisting back on themselves paths I had to endure myself when I entered the maze with them, but never misleading you deliberately, dear reader. I won't say trust me, though. Q said that a lot, and it meant don't. Don't, then, but do take the journey with me that started with Desiree's little channel on YouTube where we learned of the murderous gang that stalked her through the years and who I now found myself unwittingly a prominent member of, in her mind, for questioning her version of events, along with many others who had crossed her path on YouTube. I'd now got a YouTube channel of my own, having decided to try to persuade her I was not another gang stalker she had on her list of murderers namely the dastardly and cunning Bob Coventry, her chief nemesis. We soon got past any feigned shock on her part at the news I wasn't Bob Coventry, on seeing me in that first live stream on my channel. As it turned out, she knew exactly who I was, using my name when she turned up and taunting me with it in the chat box beside the video as the live stream ran. The rather... Uh, oblivious people in chat who turned up to see the face of the monstrous troll gang member who had the audacity to stalk her right out in public on a YouTube video had no idea who she was greeting but of course she fixed that in her next video by using my name again and talking about my role in the murder gang. I wasn't Bob of course but was hired by him she now claimed to stalk her with bloody murder on my mind. Her subs were entranced as the murder narrative, which it had to be admitted was in danger of getting slightly stale, was now invigorated with a new character added. The new character, even better, was objecting strenuously to being called a murderer and making videos saying so. Even more to watch then on the tube on an otherwise quiet evening 
Not that we were the only thing on, banish the thought. There was a network of interrelated channels dependent on one another for their narratives, commenting on each other, offering support, insights, argumentation, or just plain arguments, all keeping the atmosphere lively and interactive, unlike the way a more passive atmosphere of a less interactive media like TV does. Michael Quinn was still talking about AI on his channel, but Desiree had moved more towards the intriguing political postings of the Q Clearance Patriot, getting talked about a lot on YouTube, who increasingly was known by the shorter name Q. She saw Q posts as a puzzle, much in the sense that a crossword could be considered a puzzle, having a solution which, once arrived at, finished the game. She once announced she'd solved the Q post's meanings and held up a porcelain or perhaps plastic rabbit figure to explain the solution, as she had seen a clue to do with rabbits on one of her favourite channels. I didn't hear anything rational offered which could be construed as a puzzle solution, however, so I assumed it was to justify the cue she had in the title of her video, along with the promise, I solved it knowing that the inclusion of the letter magically conferred an ability to go viral on a video. Such was the growing YouTube level of interest in the posts Q was making on the political forum elsewhere online. That was not the only puzzle I came across in the network of channels that got connected, not just by their topics, but by the network of interests that the subs to various channels had that broaden the connections between topics by making them seem related. I was surprised to find Azira often referring to a channel which featured another puzzle, which didn't seem to be political in nature. The puzzle, however, did get mentioned in chat on other channels, as did the guy who ran the channel, a gamer called Fandango. So I guess she must have heard the chat about the gamer and the puzzle he was working on, and got interested. Like the Q puzzle, she didn't seem to have much idea what it was really about, but didn't pretend to, as she had tried to with the Q posts, as it was clearly aimed at gamers, who would be able to solve some of the more technical clues, all of which seemed to involve software like steganography apps to unlock the layers of meaning. For example, Several of the clues were hidden items of text within digital images that only revealed themselves when you opened the images in a certain format with the right app. Then you still had to work, work to do before you could read the clue, as the clue was encrypted in a code you had to break as well. I found this much more interesting when I went over to look than the channels that purported to analyse and make sense of the cue drops after they were posted on the forum boards. Partly this was because there were a lot of visuals that sold you on the puzzle too, and the artist in me enjoyed these more than the clues, which I didn't think I'd much hope of solving unless I started installing apps that would possibly crash my ancient, already running out of app space laptop just after it burst into flames from dramatically overreacting to having to do one bit or bite of extra work 
to open an image, to work on a clue. The gamers sometimes solved clues and sometimes showed videos about the puzzle, which, he explained, were clues as well. One didn't need any equipment but one's eyes and mind, and the production value of some of the animations were good, I thought, and the ideas behind them good as well. I understood, I felt, what a lot of the references were, since they tapped into mythological subject matter. Things like the Golden Fleece were linked to the Garden of Eden idea, and Buddhist ideas were there too, alongside other symbols I didn't understand as well with all the ideas presented with imagery that flowed along well with nice music. It was very engaging. And when his screen switched and he started solving clues or giving helpful hints for solving, showing his computer screen as he worked away, that was interesting too, as I liked looking at how apps worked and seeing what they were used for. I'd never heard of cryptography before but learned that I vaguely knew what it was from watching things on TV yonks ago when I'd had a TV about the problems of sending and receiving messages in World War I without them getting intercepted and how that led to new codes and ways of encrypting messages being invented. The art of encrypting secret things was far, far older, of course, there was always having been a need for secrecy among such types as those seeking out occult knowledge, chemical or political, whose lives could have been in danger were their ideas to fall into the wrong hands back in those crazy days of what was then considered a science, in the same sense we employ the word today. Emperors and kings all had alchemists working away in smoky rooms, looking for the secrets of the Philosopher's Stone, the secret substance with spiritual power that could turn base metals into gold, the materia prima that gave access to eternal life, the most fabulous prize one could imagine any alchemist dreaming of. The Rosetta Stone was the physical stone containing the long sought after keys to finally decoding Egyptian hieroglyphics. The purpose of some coded books remains a mystery, where their secret code or cipher is still unbroken after centuries. Indeed, some's purpose is not entirely certain either. I found out a lot I didn't know already about the topic while searching YouTube for information to help me maybe solve some of the puzzle clues. Pretty fun stuff for the imagination to go wild on and new puzzles to get developed around, no doubt. There was that same air of secrecy and mystery about how this puzzle was presented to the channel's audience as well. The digital book, which could be accessed by solvers online, was rumoured to be based on several long-lost ancient works, we were told, and was once compiled from original Arab, Moorish and Templar texts, in various languages, later gathered together and encoded by other unknown hands and called by the name Liber Locust. It wasn't known how it arrived on the internet, we heard, but decoding it would yield some of the juiciest of its secrets for those interested in history, art, mythology, music, science, anything really worth being interested in. Well, now you're talking, I thought. 
even if it's a made up thing, because I'd never heard of it anywhere except on this tiny channel and don't see, didn't see documentaries about it elsewhere online. This sounds like fun, kind of arty and kind of literary. And I often popped in to see what clues were being examined or ideas talked about by the host, Fandango. I soon found out, a bit disappointingly, although he talked himself up a lot, mentioning his terribly high IQ, which oddly seemed to regularly change, he didn't seem all that familiar with many of the ideas the puzzle seemed based on, as he stumbled his way through pronouncing names and places mentioned in clues already solved, many of which he claimed credit for solving, and gave the impression more of someone working to a script than someone who's familiar with the material he was supposedly studying. As he researched the names that came up in the clues with us on screen, stumbling over the simplest words, one couldn't help wondering how such a poor reader had gotten so far in his solving quest to date. But the fact that clues required a proficiency in techie skills covered him a bit. Perhaps his skill lay chiefly with the apps. Again, the more you watched, the more you saw that the apps weren't terribly technical either. And I thought of Michael Quinn, who'd insisted he was a programmer on a live stream, inventing a new form of online AI while writing HTML code that put a chat box onto a web page. The gamers in Fandango's chat were certainly younger and edgier than myself, if first impressions were anything to go by. And the language tended to be rather crude, rather often, with manners leaving a lot to be desired as a rule. You couldn't expect an hello from anyone in chat if you turned up by default. And more often than not, you didn't get one. I assumed they thought this was a mark of coolness, this leaving you out and ignoring you if you made any remarks or suggestions as they were doing their solving in the lively chat section. It was very different to some of my other favourite spots on the truther end of YouTube, where you were greeted if somebody recognised your avatar name and returned a greeting if you said hello. Strangely, Jazeera usually got greeted whenever she arrived, if not warmly, at least a hello. I presume that because some of the gaming types might have been a generation younger than her, she reminded them of their own granny or something and evoked warm or just not such hostile feelings in them. I liked going over to a channel called All Rock Together, mainly for the politeness, which seems weird even to me now, since I found the content often dull. But I imagine I was probably starting to see the value of good manners, what with the names I was getting called in some places by now. When Desiree turned up in Fandango's, if I was there, I sometimes stayed, but often didn't, since a few of her subs were also there. They would start a conversation about me without talking to me and spoil my enjoyment of what I was watching. Since nobody really talked to me in chat, I'd find All Rock's live stream off and on at the same time in the early evening and hop on over there to bask in the nice manners for a while. His topics weren't as good as the people in chat. 
He did little investigations of things that seemed a bit made up and silly, things like who the suspicious owner of a building on Fifth Avenue, New York was, that had the devil of a number, 666. Was it a member of the secret deep state cabal, sending a satanic message out, taunting the American public, letting them know they were doing a satanic takeover right under their noses? I found topics like this had nothing to offer in the intellectual department. To be honest, part of Q's lack of appeal for me had to do with the same kinds of topics. Q had a satanic fixation as well. And the whole truther community seemed to be infected with the same unhealthy obsessions, which had such an air of silliness about them that I couldn't listen to it at all without being depressed for the IQ of the human race which was clearly not going up, like Fandango claimed his had. Originally, I had thought truthers used the term demon on you or other people they didn't like as a kind of joke term. But no, some of them literally believed in demons. They saw them as disembodied forces waiting to move into humans and take them over like body snatchers. When you disagreed with them about anything, often it was some minor political point, or maybe it was something bigger, like the God thing, which I objected to them bashing me over the head with in chat. They went full demon on you, rebuking you for all you were worth, starting a right old barrage of rebuking you, working themselves into what I imagined must have looked like their own demonic frothing at the mouth sure to continue until the end of the show. They didn't seem to mind missing the actual content. For this, in fact, it may have been the main act in their mind and the best bit of the show. Colonel Ray's expose was the main spot for demonic materialization, if the demon spotters were correct, since they were forever causing a ruckus there while he was quietly doing his own bit of decoding of Hebraic gematria cleverly embedded in cube posts, which coordinated with numbers whenever they were mentioned, in Trump tweets, in ways that had to be explained, not immediately obvious to the untrained eye. He also specialised in pointing out President Trump's clever 5D chess moves on front of his world map, rarely referred to, except if he was in a using his pointer mood when he'd get warmed up to it by smoothing out his jaunty tie so it didn't get tangled in his little pointer. His toupee was always already sorted out for the day earlier and remained unruffled, looking trim and perfectly parted with not a hair out of place, a ship-shape and dapper ex-military guy he was even if he was a Mormon. Desiree pointed out how that made you very bad news indeed, and not to be trusted, involving extra wives and scandal of that sort. She'd fancied him once, it was clear, but had quite lost her giddy and girlish tone when talking of him now, and his continuing to ignore her didn't help. Soon, though, something big was to happen that would take her mind off the Colonel Rays of yesterday. Someone knew. Q. And it was Gerald Cross that would be the agent responsible for the meeting with Q, 
which would lead him to cross my path too.